Welcome back to You Ask For It, a podcast where we answer questions about faith, but then also we just, right now, like what we're doing is walking through um, the study of doctrine. And what we've chosen to do is walk through the Apostles' Creed because it is the first creed, the first true thing that Christians held on to to describe what they believe. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about Jesus. Um, We looked at the phrases, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And then today, our focus is going to be on the next two words, which is our Lord. Now, in most gospel uh, presentations, we're taught to point to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and and that we would say that in there is all the definition of what it means to be a believer, to be saved, right? And it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, by using this verse, we're already told a per- we've already told a person everything that they need to know. Confess, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart mm-hmm. that you'll be saved. And in that, we would say you have everything that you need. That's right. That's right. Now, notice it's saying you're confessing that Jesus is Lord. Uh, you, I don't think you can divide Jesus up. You, you've got to consciously, you can't reject his lordship just to take the fire insurance of his being a savior. And so do you accept him as Savior and Lord? Uh, I heard years ago I was in the Navigators, and one of the guys who was discipling a college student said, let's go to the coffee house and do some witnessing. So they were witnessing together, and uh, they had a lost person who was really open. He, they, they, he drew the bridge to life. How We're on one side, God's on the other, and Jesus crosses the bridge between, and he gave the gospel and talked about how we can receive Christ. He said, can you think of any reason why you wouldn't like to wouldn't want to accept Christ as Savior right now? He said, you know, I can't. And then the navigator shocked the guy who was discipling, and he said, well, I can think of a few reasons. He said, because now here's what you need to know. You are going to be accepting Christ as Savior, but you're also going to be accepting Him as Lord. And, and that means that you give Him control of your life. Do you want someone else to tell you who you can date and who you can't? Do you want someone else to tell you what you can do on Friday night and what you can't? Do you want somebody else to? So in, in essence, what, what you're doing is you're not just saying, I want you to save me from my sins. You're willing to let him take over your life and be Lord of your life. And the guy said, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And so I, the, we've always started out when you look at this creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son. But you always say, our Lord, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. But we would say that Jesus is Lord. It was kind of the first creed in the scriptures, right? right? Before the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, before the Apostles' Creed. This is how, this is what defined you as a believer. You said Jesus is Lord. This is what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of you in that, you're saying Jesus is Lord. Now, here's here's why this matters. The word Lord, to put it in our terms today, is you saying this, Jesus is boss. Mm-hmm. He dictates everything. My life is defined by him. Now, this was very significant in the first century because Christians, like all Romans, were required once a year to declare this, Caesar is Lord, yeah. right? Caesar's boss. He's the one in charge. And they had to do it in front of an idol of Caesar. You can see the issues that this could cause with Christians. Um, and, you know, we've, We found inscriptions like these on Roman records that say things such as this, Emperor Augustus Caesar, God and Lord. And other ones that say this, Nero, the Lord of the world. Now, most of the time, Christians wouldn't show up. Just 
Uh, yeah. You, you avoid going. Yes, avoid going so that you, I mean, because we know what would happen if they showed up and they were unwilling to do that, most likely They'd you're not going to last very long. No. You're going to be put to death. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a commentator who spoke on this very concept, and here's what he said to help us understand what this would mean maybe, you know, in our kind of modern context. He said, imagine that you're an extravagant, you're in an extravagant, extravagant hotel in Berlin during the 1930s for a dinner party attended by a mix of lawyers, doctors, businessmen, and military officers. While the evening is mostly polite and cordial, with a small talk on everything from stock market to the latest operas, a military officer suddenly taps his glass and proposes a toast to the Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. Then, as everyone stands and raises their glasses, you, being the committed Christian you are, interrupt and propose an alternative toast. Everyone is startled and looks at you as you proudly utter in your best German, Jesus the Jew from Nazareth is the true Fuhrer. You probably wouldn't have long before the Gestapo came and took you away <laughs> to a very nasty place to make such a, a subversive claim. This is what he says. He says, Nero did not have Christians thrown to the lions because they said, Jesus is Lord of my heart, right? But because he, they're saying this, Jesus is ultimate Lord and Caesar is not. That's right. That is why they ended up having the trouble that they had. And that's why the significance of yeah. this. And what we're going to do now is just go through the New Testament and show you how consistently through the New Testament you'll find the Lordship of Christ. Paul, one of one of my favorite passages in Philippians 2, he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's that phrase again. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Romans 14, 9, Paul is talking about why Jesus died. He said this, Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. You have Peter who declares the same thing in, in Acts 2.36. He says, therefore, as he's speaking at Pentecost, mm -hmm. right, sharing the gospel, therefore let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord. Savior and boss, right? Savior right. and the one who is over all things. Mm -hmm. And then we see Thomas's confession. Yeah. In John 20, verse 27, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. This is Jesus speaking. Reach out your hand and put it in my, into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And then Thomas says this. He says, my Lord and my God, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You are the one who is over all. And here he is calling Jesus Lord. Absolutely. And then finally, you come to James, the, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, think about how significant this is. Let me read the verse and tell you why it's significant. James 2, ver verse 1, he says, My brothers and sisters... Do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this matters. I have a, I have a younger brother. Yeah, Taylor. Taylor, yes. Ain't no way I'm calling my younger brother Lord <laughs> unless he is the Lord, right? Unless he is the one who is over all Now, things. you wouldn't mind if Taylor called you Lord. Absolutely. I mean, that makes more sense. No. But here's the thing. If James, the half-brother of Jesus, who knew Jesus probably better than anybody mm -hmm. else, is sitting here calling him Lord, then Jesus is Lord. Yeah, amen. And so that you, uh, you see from Scripture how important this is, that we are acknowledging the fact that Jesus Christ is nothing less than the Lord of our lives. He's our King. But I'll tell you what we've, what we've done. Now, this was not understood in Bible times, but I think we'd understand it today. 
are y'all as fascinated as I am by now King Charles and Camilla and William and <laughs> Kate and, 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 you know, all of that. And of course, Queen Elizabeth, who reigned longer than anyone else has ever reigned. Uh, I've had the privilege of going over to the UK and spending time in many houses. A lot of people have a, had a picture when I was there, a picture of the queen on the wall. And um, when you when she had her anniversaries, they buy a plate, you know, with the, the anniversary that was commemorated. And they listen to her Christmas address every year. And and so the, the people of Britain loved the queen. But the queen really had no power. Because in Britain, what they have today is a constitutional monarchy. She's only a beloved symbol. Nobody wakes up in Britain and they think before they start during the day, what does the queen want me to do? Will this please the queen? No, she's just someone to remember on holidays. She's just someone whose picture you put on the wall. You call her queen, but she has no power. And I think that's the way a lot of people are treating Jesus. Mm. They're basically saying, you know, I love, I've got a picture on this wall. There's, there's my picture of Jesus. And, oh, I love his holidays. Christmas is coming up. Isn't it wonderful to celebrate his birth? And, but majority of people don't wake up, even if they call themselves Christians, don't wake up in the morning and say, now, how will, what would Jesus want me to do today? Will this be pleasing to Jesus? But that's what it means to have Jesus as Lord of your life. Um, even the abortion issue that we've just, we've just been working through, it may have been what turned the tide in the elections that so many people wanted to protect the, the right to take the life of their baby. You hear people say constantly, don't tell me what to do with my body. Isn't that exactly what's happening in the, in the abortion debate now? Uh, no one can tell me what to do with my body. Of course, they're forgetting that there's a baby inside, too. There's two people involved. But here's the deal. If you understand the lordship of Christ, you recognize that's not your body. In fact, look, at, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So in essence, what we've come to when we're Christians, and this is what we declare when we say our statement of faith, I believe in Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, our Lord. We're saying we have decided that He is the King of our lives. He owns everything. He has the final word on anything in our lives. So we're declaring that He is Lord and nobody else. And I don't know many people have a struggle with that because we do want to be the ones in charge. But I would argue that Jesus being Lord brings great relief to our Amen. lives. Amen. Yeah. In, in Luke 9, starting in verse 23, it says this, Then he said to them, Jesus said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. This is what the scriptures teach us, is that when Christ is the one who is made Lord, it means that when we die, we actually live. That's when you start living. Yes. We can do what we we can do everything we can to try to you know, we can be as healthy as we want to be. We can we can do everything we want to try to preserve our life on our own. But if we are the ones who are Lord of our life, death is just the only thing that comes for us. Yeah. But when Christ is the one who is made Lord and we believe in Him and our life becomes hidden in Him, then true life is found. You see, the battle inside of us stops yeah. when we decide yeah. to start trusting Jesus. Uh, I heard somebody say Christianity is the only place where you surrender and win. Hmm. You know, I give my life to Jesus, I just won. You know, and I remember how miserable I was when I was wrestling 
with totally committing my life to the Lord Jesus. I, I was, I mean, that's a, that's a hard place to be is when you're in that tug of war. There's a release that comes. Now, I'm going to chase down a couple of rabbits on this issue because I'm trying to state something as carefully as I could. I talked about you can't reject his lordship. You can't hold on to sin and say, I want fire insurance. But I do not believe that everyone who is saved understands at that moment the implications of the Lordship of Christ. For many people, there's a secondary experience of coming to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord, and I'll explain why. Uh, for instance, when children are saved, uh, I believe a child, when they're young, can have a sense of sin, and you can talk to them about Jesus being the one who died and can forgive their sins, and they can accept Jesus as Savior. But what they've discovered, and when they've done the developmental aspects of our mind, is that it's not until you pass through adolescence that you can understand a, an intangible concept like lordship. Does that make sense? And, and so if you, if you lead your children to Christ, that means that you need to be aware that once they pass through adolescence, once they become 13, 14, 15, you've got to help them come to a secondary experience of settling the issue that Jesus is Lord as well. I, I think there are some people who, out of a desperate, they, they have very little background, they're carrying a boatload of sin and shame, and they hear the gospel, and they accept Christ, and that is wonderful. And all you need to be saved is to know that you're a sinner, and he's a savior, and you call on that. But then when they start reading the Bible, then they begin to see these claims of Jesus to be more than just savior. And so as they grow in their knowledge of the scriptures, they come to the place where they make him Lord. But I will say this, regardless, when people like, there's a cliche that I don't like. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I don't like that cliche because the, tr the, the truth of the matter is I've been following Christ since December of 1969, and I still struggle with the Lordship of Christ. Mm -hmm. In Luke 9, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day I have to come to the place where I say, you got to take over, Lord. I'm sorry. I, I took over for that moment. Will you forgive me? You take back over. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I don't know if I've ever gone 24 hours straight with him being Lord of all. And so if they say, if he's not Lord of all, you're not saved. Well, I'm, I'm standing before you as a person who's never been saved. No, I'm, I'm saved by what he did for me. His Holy Spirit comes in, and now I long to have him as Lord. I see his rightful claims to be Lord upon my life. But um, So I, I do believe this. The distinction I would make is this. You can't defiantly reject the claims of the Lordship of Christ and just accept Jesus as Savior. But I think there are many people who don't understand the implications of the Lordship of Christ and come to that in the second place. Is that clear to you as we've been talking about it? Now, I'll give you one closing story, if you don't mind. Go ahead. <laughs> um, back in the 80s, when AIDS first came out, I was called by hospice to come and visit a young man who was close to death with AIDS. It had been the first time I really dealt with somebody like that. I walked in. I had not met him, although he had been raised in the church I was pastor of. And so when I walked in, the nurse said, this is Pastor Scoggins from named the church. And he said, okay, I'll just tell it to you straight. If I've got to become a, a heterosexual, become a Christian, you're wasting your time. I'll never do it. I mean, didn't, not hi, how are you? <laughs> that was his first words. So I sat down next to him. I said, I, obviously, you've got a few things you want to say. I'm just going to let you say them. 
And so he said, well, I grew up in your church and I felt like God was against me and I got, felt like a hypocrite because I was beating my head up against these laws that I was hearing in the Bible. And so I threw it away and I went to Atlanta and embraced who I was and, and, I've, and that's who I am. I've been part of the homosexual lifestyle for all of these years and I'm not going to change. If I have to become a heterose- heterosexual, become a Christian, I won't do it. Well, I looked at him and said, well... If you don't mind, can I share with you a few things you might have gotten wrong? First of all, I want you to know God was never against you. He was for you. He loved you so much. He sent his son to die for your sins. I can't even explain how much he loves you. But but the second thing you need to know is this. You said you beat your head up against his laws and you got tired of the hypocrisy. You got to understand those laws were given to you by a father. I no longer see the do's and don'ts of the Bible as cold rules and regulations. I see them as the heavenly father sharing his heart with us. Mm. And every time he says, don't do that, that's, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. And every time he says, do that, he says, that's the way to happiness. And if you hadn't beat your head against God's laws, you wouldn't be where you are right now. And then I said, but one more thing I've got to tell you, because I, listen, I, I can't change this thing. I just deliver it. Mm-hmm. I said, you can't come to God on your terms. You come to God on his terms and his terms are repentance and faith. You can't hold on to your homosexuality and accept Jesus. You're going to have to be willing to let that go. And, and I said, I don't want to be here to pressure you. So when you're ready to let that go, you call me. That was a Tuesday on Saturday. He called me and said, I'm ready to come to God on his terms. And he accepted Christ as his Savior, and he died the next Tuesday. And uh, again, it was actually a moot point because he never left the bed. He was that far along with the AIDS. But, um, but that defines, you can't, I, I think you can understand the Lordship of Christ later, but you can't defiantly reject the Lordship of Christ and, and, be a, and become a Christian either. So I hope that's clear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I hope this has been a helpful discussion for you. I know it's one that I feel like oftentimes we wrestle with on how do we define this rightly. Um, Thank you for joining us again this week for You Asked For It. Uh, We'll be back again in a couple of weeks as we'll continue to work through the Apostles' Creed together. 